Purple, get ready to roll indeed. This is College and Kimball. I am your host, Jeff Burkhart, flying solo as I always do for the midweek opponent preview. We're gearing up to break down K-State's homecoming foe, TCU. Now, before we do dive into the Horn Frogs, a quick request of our listeners, subscribe to our podcast on whatever your preferred platform is. Additionally, you can follow us on Twitter at college underscore Kimball. Now, with all that being said, I'm pleased now to be joined by Jeff Mitchell, who covers TCU for the Horned Frog Blitz, better known as the 24-7 site for TCU. Now, Jeff, let's go ahead and, and Just start off with last week's effort against West Virginia. I think everybody in Fort Worth was looking at that as an opportunity to get right, to get some things ironed out on the defensive side of the ball, pick up a win, build some momentum. After that, you go on the road to face a Kansas State team that, again, quite frankly, has its own fair share of issues. And then after that, you host Baylor in a game that you certainly have to feel like if you're TCU, you have a puncher's chance to pull an upset at home. So this was really a potentially a springboard game for Gary Patterson's squad, but unfortunately, TCU spits the bit. They have the opening kickoff return touchdown by Darius Davis, but then it all goes south from that point on. West Virginia's offense, certainly not known to be prolific, really puts together a number of sustained drives against TCU and walks out of Fort Worth with a double-digit victory. And I got to ask, what's the general pulse of the TCU fan base following that lackluster effort against West Virginia. The West Virginia game was uh, an observation of the seemingly continual decline of the Frogs this season, compounded by the last couple of seasons. At least the offense had been able to do things and put up some points until the West Virginia game. And then not only did the defense continue to give up hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of yards, but the offense put up 10 points on the board. So even with a four-star quarterback, a couple four-star wide receivers, and a five-star running back, and a, and a consistent offensive line that's been better than everybody thought this year, West Virginia just was a snapshot of, of how the fan base feels right now, which is um, we have not played a p- complete game in three to four years as a, as a program, and uh, it was all on display there for a poor attendant, a poorly attended, poorly played game for homecoming <laughs> You mentioned that defense giving up hundreds and hundreds of yards to West Virginia, and I would imagine to the average TCU fan that was likely the most alarming element of last Saturday's game. Any Big 12 observer knows how pedestrian this West Virginia offense is, and it was stunning for me to watch them just carve up Gary Patterson's defense the way that they did. This has been his calling card, not just since TCU joined the Big 12, but since he became head coach way back in 2000. And this is unprecedented on a number of different levels. If you just look back at 2020, TCU was more than respectable on that side of the ball. They only gave up 5.3 yards per play, a little bit more than 350 yards per contest, about 24 points per game. They were in the top half, or in some cases, top two or three in the major defensive statistical categories. You couple all that with the fact that you got eight starters from that group coming back here for 2021, including a couple of preseason all Big 12 selections and O'Shawn Mathis on the defensive line and Trey Hodges Tomlinson in the secondary. But for whatever reason, it all just hasn't jived this year. And what 
what are fans attributing that to more than anything else? Is this Gary Patterson's message getting stale? Is this schematic? Is this personnel? What are your thoughts there? You know, I've got two categories that I put up, put that in on, on one, in one sense, you know, they have been riddled with injuries in all the wrong places. Uh, Noah Daniels, who was projected to be a first round draft pick, maybe a second round draft pick has barely played this year. He's battled some serious injuries. You have to ask if he's just going to hang it up in the name of protecting his body to, you know, get one seven figure life changing check. And then on the other side of, of the other corner, we have uh, Trey Hodges Tomlinson. His net, net, you know, his uncle played uh, running back at TCU, uh, Ladanian Tomlinson. He's had a solid year, but everybody just decides, well, we've got four other D-backs we can pick on, and they've done that. You know, they sent Trey Morick as well as Ardarius Washington into the NFL. Both of them have, have made NFL rosters as rookies. Losing that hurts. But, you know, if you've been a TCU fan for years, like, like I have, you've been able to say, well, you know, the, you know, Patterson can reload. They're able to get uh, have depth at, at safety. They recruit really well in the defensive backfield. They like to take quarterbacks and turn them into um, draft picks in the defensive backfield. And there's just been injuries and uh, perhaps the scheme is getting stale. You use that word that may be that may be present. Um, but but it's it's not just the defensive backfield. You know, D. Winters is a really solid linebacker. The other linebacker position, you know, we've got a rotation of a series of guys that just can't quite get the job done. Uh, Kari Coleman, who was on a lot of freshman All-American teams last year to defensive end, he didn't get back uh, healthy until a few games into the season. He's shown signs of life, but that sophomore slump, slump has been present. But the real issue, um, on top of those issues I listed, is they just do not have defensive tackles. They, they just do not have defensive tackles that have been able to stop the run like they had. The, the metaphor that I use, and this is, this is more of a really bad uh, diagnosis from the couch. Patterson, I heard Patterson say this live years ago at a, at a, at a gathering of alumni. He said, in the end, there's only two, football, two positions in football, hammers and nails. And I recruit hammers. Well, there's a whole lot of nails on the defensive side of the ball right now, and there's just no <laughs> sense of energy or like one of my friends and I have a joke like we don't have anybody that we're worried is going to get in a fight anymore. And it's really evident. <laughs> you definitely need to have those personalities on that side of the ball. As we all know, playing defense in the Big 12 is not for the faint of heart and Kansas State fans can certainly commiserate with you. If you were to ask any Wildcat fan through the first three games of Big 12 play, they would all to a man say K-State is only rolling nails out on that side of the ball. So we, we too understand the frustrations that come with poor defensive play. Now, while again, it is nothing short of stunning to see TCU butting up against KU in the cellar for a lot of these defensive statistical categories, it's conversely as surprising to see how efficient and effective this TCU offense has been through seven games. They're averaging a little bit more than 34 points per contest. This is on track to be the highest scoring team uh, that Gary Patterson has rolled out there since the 2015 team that was quarterbacked, of course, by Trevon Boykin. And I think we have to trace a lot of this improvement to Max Duggan. He has made some pretty noticeable strides in his development as a quarterback. He's on pace to throw for pretty close to 3,000 yards. He's already tossed 14 touchdowns here through seven games, as I mentioned. Where have you seen him take the biggest strides comparing 2020 to 2021? 
Well, he's able to throw the ball better than he has in the past. He's always had a cannon for an arm, but accuracy has been an issue, or he, he throws it uh, like Nolan Ryan. He's there, His freshman year, he just threw these you know, these hot passes that were almost too hard to catch or sometimes right into the ground as hard as they could be. His ability to connect on with the deep ball has really uh, stepped up this season. It helps out a lot when you have a sophomore like Quentin Johnston that the Frogs flip from Texas that you're able to throw to. So that's a really good thing. Uh, you know, one of the interesting things, and you hate thinking that an injury has helped him, but he's battling a foot injury that's probably going to require surgery at the end of the season. He can play through it. It's not going to you know, kill his ability to run. But he can run, but he maybe has lost a quarter of a step with this injury. So maybe he's staying in the pocket a little bit longer. Maybe he's trying to not just look for his first receiver, glance at the second, and then take off, which is probably a trait he needed to shake off. And you hate that he shaked, it was able to shake it off because of uh, an injury. But that said, he's able to get downfield a lot better than he has. And he's really been able to throw the ball over the middle, which... Again, I, I always confess, I am not Mr. X's and O's. I have not made a life of designing play call. But when he throws the ball over the middle, good things tend to happen. He certainly has developed into one of the top playmakers in this conference. And for all intents and purposes, Duggan is the top player in the Big 12 in terms of total offense generated per game. K-State's defense undoubtedly going to have its hands full trying to contain him both through the air and on the ground. He's second only to Jason Bean of Kansas in terms of rushing yards for Big 12 quarterbacks. So a tall task ahead of the Wildcats defense in terms of containing Duggan, another player that presents a completely different set of challenges for this K-State defense is Zach Evans. This is a dynamic running back who really did not get the type of attention he deserved as a freshman last season. He had close to 500 yards from scrimmage on just 62 touches. There has been no sophomore slump here in 2021. He's picking up right where he left off. He's generated 778 yards from scrimmage, averaging close to eight yards per touch. What can you tell us about Zach Evans as he took a pretty interesting path to find his way into Fort Worth? You know, it was just a miracle that the Frogs landed Zach Evans. I mean, it's not every day that you get a, a five-star running back who was at one time the number one player in the in the 2020 class to just kind of fall in your lap. And, you know, he had a, an odd recruitment. He had committed and I believe was on campus at Georgia for about, you know, a cup of coffee and then was released. And then I got a call from the guy I work for, Jeremy Clark, that runs TCU 24-7 site, and he said, Jeff, I'm writing a story I never thought I'd write. Um, tomorrow, we will announce that Zach Evans has enrolled at TCU, which has just blown the roof off of our um, imagination of, the, of what a recruit can get, uh, what kind of recruit TCU can get. And he has not disappointed. You know, when you watch him in the open field, it's it's almost like watching him jog. And you don't realize that he just glides so gracefully. And then you look up and he's picked up 8, 9, 12 yards um, his ability to pick up yards after contact, he's kind of underrated, if you can say that, on his ability to just keep uh, moving and keep the pile moving. But Zach Evans can do things in the open field, and, and especially out of the backfield catching the ball, that I, I've just never seen anybody do since uh, LaDainian Tomlinson played at TCU. And so Zach Evans is is rare air for the Frogs in recruiting, but it has translated really well. Um, I don't know if they've got like a unofficial handshake agreement. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. They're not going to give him the ball 35 times a game. 
I don't know if, um, you know, Kendra Miller is is an amazing running back that would be starting at most programs in the Big 12. And uh, they're both sophomores and he gets uh, they do what they can to get double digit carries for him. And there's no there's really no slouch in the running game when Miller comes in. But Frog fans, in their estimation, you know, Miller should be carrying the ball 20 or, uh, you know, Zach Evans should be carrying the ball 27 times a game. And I, I would like to see that happen to be able to uh, get across the threshold of victory for the Frogs one of these days. <laughs> You brought up LT's name a little bit earlier, and I wanted to dive down that rabbit hole if you'll indulge me for just a moment. If you look at the numbers that LT produced in his first two seasons in Fort Worth, and you compare them to at least what Zach Evans is tracking to do in his first two years, there is no real comparison. Evans will easily surpass LT in terms of yards gained from scrimmage. Now, you start to extrapolate that and look forward to Evans junior and senior seasons and potentially a COVID year on top of all that, he could have his hands on a number of different, not just rushing records, but all purpose records at TCU. Am I crazy to think that Evans might be held in the same regard and be in that same rarefied air as LT? Well, I would, I would put money down with anybody that wants to bet that next year is his last year before he goes to the draft. And so I, I think Zach Evans will will play, you know, finish out the season, play next year, and then declare himself eligible for the NFL draft after three seasons. I would love for him to be here five years. That would that would make my day for Zach Evans to be at TCU for five years. But my hunch is he'll put up well over a thousand yards this year, put up a thousand yard over a thousand yards next year, and then declare himself eligible for the NFL draft and be one of, if not the highest rated um, running back taken. You know, we all we all know running backs aren't taken in the top 10, top 15, but he could be a late first round running back and he would be an amazing addition just because of his versatility um, to catch the ball out of the backfield. He actually pass blocks really well. And one of, one of my favorite images of this season is they, they run a draw with Duggan and Zach Evans is the lead blocker out there, you know, chipping on running backs and, and doing his job. <laughs> but it, it's kind of neat to see he's, He's actually a team player, a team first guy, which, uh, you know, for for, guy, for teams like Kansas State and TCU, we say all oh, those five star guys that go to the big programs, they're just in it for themselves. Zach Evans does everything that's asked of him, and he's a 3.8 student. So I, that's kind of a great story to see. It's always refreshing to hear about stories like Zach Evans. If you look at his offer list coming out of high school, you will quickly see that this was a kid who could have committed to any number of blue blood programs he chose to attend tcu that's not said with any malice directed at tcu as an institution nor gary patterson's football program the big 12 is still a power five conference there are still millions of people in this region of the country that are highly invested in these programs and want to see their respective schools have success and to that point story like Zach Evans, frankly, is what the Big 12 needs to have for long-term vitality. There are some media stereotypes out there about only being able to make it to the next level if you compete in a certain conference or you attend a certain school that belongs to a certain conference. I'll let our listeners make their own deductions there. But to bring it back to Zach Evans again, he's an exceptional talent and wouldn't be carving up defenses the way that he has without the help of a very solid offensive line. And that's really where I wanted to 
conclude things as far as the discussion of the TCU offense goes. You were very complimentary of that front five earlier on in the interview. Who are a couple of guys we should have our eyes out for this coming Saturday? I go with two guys. Uh, Steve Avila, who's placed center, um, was out of South Grand Prairie High School um, in there in DFW. He has transitioned to center and played some last year and played really well. And he is the anchor of the offensive line. When he's healthy, the offensive line just works a whole lot better. So uh, if you see Steve Avila at, at uh, center this week, that means that we're as healthy as we can be up front. I'd also look at uh, the young man. I'm gonna, I, I hate butchering names, so I just know how to pronounce his last name perfectly. And I've got the media guide and everything for his first name. But uh, AZ is a transfer that plays left tackle from the University of Memphis, and he started there for a couple of years, had over 20 starts under his belt at a good AAC program, um, played on the team that went to the Cotton Bowl. And he has stepped in day one, starting left tackle. And he came here on an unofficial agreement that he was going to play for TCU one year and then go into the draft. And he's proven that this has been a a good decision for the sake of the team and a good decision for the sake of his NFL future because he has been uh, an anchor on the left side of the line. Um, He pass blocks well. He knows how to um, he, he knows how to block with the odd schemes that Doug Meacham will run out of the gun. And so I would look at AZ and Steve Avila as the two guys up front that uh, really deserve the credit for, for the Frogs' improvement. You know, you also have to add this in. Jared Anderson has been a, uh, a journeyman coach at TCU since Dennis Francione came here. He was a GA and worked his way up, and he has just been on Patterson's staff the whole time. And he was the offensive line coach in 14 and 15, back when the Frogs, you know, finished in the top 10 two straight years. And he went back to uh, coaching the offensive line. And I've been really impressed. I think he's done a great job. Fans were not excited when he went there, when he went back to coaching the offensive line. But I, I can't, you can't complain about the product with his ability to coach up the offensive line this year. And you look at the, the differentiation of stats from last season's inability to run the ball to the Frogs' this year's ability to run the ball. Well, Jeff, you and I are working on the same wavelength here. You brought up assistant coaches, and that transitions quite nicely into the next topic I wanted to dive into. As we know, when things are going sideways the way that they have for TCU this season, people are going to start pointing fingers, and unfortunately, a lot of people are going to start calling out for certain position coaches or coordinators to lose their jobs. It's unfortunate, but that's just kind of the fan culture that we live in now, where if we can't see market improvement or progress week to week, then it means whoever that position coach is, whoever that coordinator is, he's not doing his job and he needs to get fired. And that's that's obviously putting a big strain on head coaches. And with that being said, have any names been brought up by either fans or reporters about coaches who might be on the chopping block? And if push came to shove, do you think Gary would pull the trigger on any of those guys if it meant him retaining his own job as head coach? Well, he, I don't know if Gary's ever fired anybody. That's one of the funny things. Now you can, you can be encouraged to look for another job, but that's not the same as being fired. Uh, Sonny Cumbie, the new interim head coach at Texas Tech, was um, encouraged to explore other options, which is different than getting getting canned. And uh, Patterson probably needs to make some changes. I, you know, there's a lot of pressure on the program right now. There's really no nice way to say that. I've been um, living and dying with TCU message boards since I was uh, 
you know, 24 years old. And let's just say I'm not 24 years old anymore. And this is the most intense I have ever seen. This is the most intensity I've ever seen of, of pressure on the program at the top. You know, there's been a lot of articles in the paper, articles from um, writers, articles from blog posts saying, you know, Patterson needs to be the one that needs to change, whether he needs to change his scheme or he need, there needs to be a change at the top. And so you can point to maybe this position coach or, you know, we need to look at, at the at changing the way we coach defensive backs or, you know, whatever. Uh, I think the real pressure is at the top. And I, I don't think there will be a change. I don't think that um, Jeremiah Donati, the athletic director, is is in a position that has enough power to encourage Patterson to move along. Uh, but it's a it's an odd time in Fort Worth because they're asking questions they've never really asked. They've been chirping the last couple of years. Uh, if and then it was bad a week ago, and then the West Virginia game happened, and it's been awful. That story should be sounding all too familiar to our listeners in terms of a fan base asking questions of a coach that it previously felt walked on water. There are a number of parallels when comparing what Gary Patterson and his staff are experiencing right now to what Bill Snyder and his staff were going through in his final couple of years of his second stint in Manhattan. It's unfortunate because Gary Patterson did for TCU football what Bill Snyder did for Kansas State football. He's been in Fort Worth for 21 years now. He's far and away the winningest coach in program history. He's taken the program to a Rose, a Fiesta, a Peach Bowl. They've appeared in Big 12 title games. And to that point, his success in the Mountain West is ultimately what elevated the program to a point where it looked attractive to the Big 12 to extend that invite now almost a decade ago. That's been worth its weight in gold. Just ask your athletic department officials who have been cashing those television revenue checks now for the better part of a decade. Unfortunately, this is very much a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately business, and to that point, TCU has failed to win more than six regular season games in each of the past three years, and it's certainly looking like that will be an uphill climb this year, so that would make it now four years in a row. I know you said a little bit ago that the AD might not necessarily have the clout to force Patterson out. Do you foresee a scenario maybe where Gary retires or voluntarily steps down, or do you feel pretty confident saying he'll be back for at least one more year? I'm confident that he comes back for one more year. Yes, okay, I am. But, you know, this is this is the snapshot of the anxiety that Frog fans have that is justifiable. Um, this is This is my least favorite statistic. 2018, 2019, and 2020, you know, the Frogs went seven and six, five and seven, six and four. In that three-year span of 500 ball, they gave up 200 yard rushing, 200 yards rushing four times over three years. In 2021 alone, they've given up 200 yards rushing in five straight games. That is, uh, that is uncharted territory for TCU defense and TCU fan base. It certainly is, and we've talked about it throughout the episode. K-State fans can and should be able to empathize with TCU fans on a number of different levels as these two programs are in that Big 12's very congested middle class, and any time you can pick up one of these 50-50 games, it's so crucial just to keeping program morale somewhat high, keeping fans appeased for another seven days, and that's why this Saturday's game is really so pivotal. These are two teams that are pretty evenly matched, and K-State's only 
a three-point favorite at home, and the Wildcats are hoping to extend this this winning streak over TCU to three games. And that being said, Jeff, I got to ask you, what are your feelings in terms of how this game on Saturday plays out? I think we're going to see a lot of football that our grandpas would have loved. <laughs> I think it's going to be uh, gritty guys <laughs> fighting it out. Uh, some undersized, under-recruited uh, offensive and defensive linemen that are going to give it everything they have. Uh, you know, the advantage that the Frogs have is on the edge with speed, talent, and, uh, you know, honestly, NFL potential. And so, you know, you figure if you can find a way to isolate Quentin Johnston on um, in the slot against a, a, a sophomore D-back that should not be in there, that is going to be able to tip the game. Zach Evans needs to get the ball 23 possess, or 23 carries and get the ball out of the backfield a few times. I could see 27-24, 27 uh, TCU, but I, I could see K-State win it. I mean, this is a coin toss, it, really. I think the only advantage the Frogs have is um, some high-level talent in isolated situations to uh, to be able to tip the game, but... I, I don't know what's going on inside the locker room. I don't know what's going on in terms of uh, the players' focus for this game. But I know that Kansas State will be prepared. I know that they have to be excited about uh, the last weekend and see what they what that brings to the game. So, I think the Frogs will win. I don't think um, I don't think they're going to win by more than a touchdown. If they do, and um, if they lose, I we're going to get record numbers on our on our website, and it's not going to be for the right reason. This will undoubtedly be a stressful game for both squads. Again, a 2.30 kick from Bill Snyder Family Stadium this coming Saturday. You'll be able to catch this one on ESPNU. Jeff, thank you again so much for your time and your analysis. Before I do cut you loose, please tell our listeners where can they check out your work and where can they find you on Twitter? You can find me on Twitter at TheFrogCastTCU, TheFrogCastTCU. And uh, we were with TCU 24-7 Sports. You go to hornfrogblitz.com, um, and you can you can scroll through and see the stories of our fan base, stories that Jeremy Clark, who's the editor of that site, um, writes, as well as some stuff that I'll have on there and a podcast that we host each week. So we'd love for you to track us down. I'm, I'm real civil on, on Twitter. The only people I troll are Texas fans that show up uh, with preseason expectations, and I'm friendly to everybody else. So we'd love for you to connect with us. Many thanks again to Jeff Mitchell of Horned Frog Blitz, TCU's 24-7 site. We greatly appreciate his current state assessment of the TCU Horned Frog football program. Do make a point again to check out some of his work before the Cats and Horned Frogs hook up this coming Saturday at Bill Snyder Family Stadium. With all that said, a final call to arms to all of our devout listeners. If you haven't already, subscribe to us on your preferred app of choice. Follow us on Twitter at college underscore Kimball. I will be back with the full cast of characters, Clint, Justin, and Alex, to recap K-State's 25-24 win over Texas Tech this past Saturday, and then we'll offer up our own predictions for K-State's upcoming game against TCU. That episode will be showing up in your feed later on this week. Thank you again for listening. We'll wrap it up the way that we always do. Cats, man. If you know, you know. <laughs> <laughs>